Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. When Sabalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the jewels, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up it would break it down, their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sabalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against us. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people below the, behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did, the, did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So he continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night. 
so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks oh. for that, Andy. Oh, sorry. Phil. You. I was going to pray for you, Andy. Pray for me. Pray for me. Sorry, I'm, I'm too I know, eager. I know you're eager. I know you're eager. And the thing is that, you know what, Nehemiah, in that passage, I just want to pray for you, Andy, because it, clearly it's full, full of your heart. And it, it says there about how the people work with all their heart. And Jesus, I, I thank you that actually you give us people like Andy, who we know will come and treat this with all of his heart. And as he preaches with all of his heart, uh, Father, pray you help us to listen with all of our hearts, that we would give our all to hear everything that you would say to us and that he is so eager to bring in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phil. You know, I, I had a really nice polished intro to this sermon, which I'm conning right now because I just, I just feel, I just had a sense just a minute or so ago, I just felt God wanted me to share something else. Um, and that was a conversation I had yesterday evening about five o'clock, uh, basically outside my house with a guy who lives four doors down. And um, we had a conversation we'd never met before. We were just chatting and he, he asked, me the, they asked me the question that a lot of people ask me. He asked me, what do you do? And I said, if I gave you 50 guesses, you'd never guess what I do. And he was intrigued. That's what I normally say. And uh, I didn't let him guess. I just said, look, I'm the pastor of a church. And he said, oh, wow. And then I said this, 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 this question that I've started asking people whenever I say that. I've said, do you have a faith? And he just, he started to share, he really opened up about his sister who had, who got cancer and, and died when she was 29 years of age. And he said to me, you know, Andy, I'm, I'm from a Hindu background. Um, I prayed to everything out there and it just didn't seem to work. And, and so I've just given up on the whole God thing because of that. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with the lady who lives three doors away from me, right next to this guy I had the conversation with. I had a conversation with her a week ago, and I had the same thing. She says, what do you do? I said, you'd never, have you got me 50 guesses? You'd never guess. She said, really? And then I told her, she said, yeah, you're right. I've never guessed that. I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And then I said, the, I asked the question, do you have a faith? And she, and she, and she as well, she shared about a number of years ago, I think it was her mother or something died, a lot of pain. And she said, you know, ever since then, I've just, I've just been angry with God and I just gave up on the whole thing. And I was just like, wow, there seems to be this thing where people, bad stuff happens to people and they just give up. Now, I know these aren't people who necessarily would call, have called themselves Christians in any sense, but they seem to have given up on God. And and basically what I want to talk about today, I, I just, I mean, I just felt like God wanted me to share that, but I want to talk about today about keeping going, okay? Keeping going as Christians on God's mission, because sometimes bad stuff can happen to us and it's hard to keep going. And this morning uh, we're continuing uh, in our series in Nehemiah by looking at Nehemiah chapter four. And what we see in this chapter is that, that no matter what came Nehemiah's way, he just kept going. It was like he had like super powered batteries in him. He just kept going and going and going and going. So we've, we've seen so far in the series that, that Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, risked everything to return to Jerusalem and, and gather a group of helpers and start rebuilding the walls. Now, why does he do this? Well, because fixing the walls represented the rebuilding of the Israelites' relationship with God. 
So for Nia, this was more than just a building project. This was about his nation returning back to God. Chapter four, uh, if you look in your Bibles, begins with a guy called Sambalat. We've seen a little bit about him in verse two. And what he's doing at the start of chapter four is he's basically presiding over a military parade. Okay, so picture the scene. He's probably seated on a throne or something under like a canopy while all the soldiers of Samaria pass by, probably saluting him as they go. First, you've got the archers, then the cavalry, and then the chariots. And just then, a messenger comes over, maybe on a horse or something, and gets off his horse and, and whispers in Sanballat's ear that Nehemiah has started rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. As soon as Sanballat hears this, he flips. He absolutely loses it, even in the presence of all the soldiers. He gets so angry. He doesn't want the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt because that means there'll be another military power in the region, and he does not want that. So how does he express his anger? Well, he expresses it in the way that a lot of us express anger, actually. He mocks. That's how a lot of people express their anger. He mocks Nehemiah, saying in verse 2, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then one of the, the visiting dignitaries at Sanballat's military parade, Tobiah the Ammonite, joins in with a mockery, saying in verse 3, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. And you can just imagine all the soldiers there like laughing. Ah, fox, uh, knock down their wall. Ah, people, all that kind of stuff. They're all kind of laughing. And the nearest response when he finds out about this mocking was to pray and to keep going. Verse six says they rebuilt the wall to half its original height, which is not bad going because it was in a pretty bad state when they started. But then in verse seven to eight, we see this powerful alliance arise against Nehemiah. Sanballat from Samaria, who we've heard about, which was to the north of Jerusalem, Tobiah of the Ammonites, which was to the east of Jerusalem, the Arabs to the south, and now we read in verse 7, the people of Ashdod, which was to the west, were all plotting together to fight against Nehemiah. Nehemiah was surrounded. Okay, this was really, really serious. And as if this opposition from outside wasn't enough, he then faced opposition from within. In verse 10, the people building the wall started to complain that the work was too hard and that they were never going to get it done and they might as well just give up. That's what they're saying in verse 10. So things are looking pretty dire at this moment. So what does Nehemiah do in response? Well, firstly, he posts some armed guards behind the weakest parts of the wall to meet the threat. He then gives a rousing speech and then he gets everyone to return to work, but with some changes. He makes people carry their swords while working and also only half the men were to work while the other half stood guard. He also got a guy with him uh, with a trumpet and went around everywhere with him. And when it was blown, everyone would go to that place to help those who were in trouble. Great plan. And finally, he said that everyone needed to stay in the city at night rather than going out to their homes in the surrounding villages at night. So there you have it. That's the story of Nehemiah chapter four. Despite the opposition, Nehemiah kept going, kept on the mission of God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, when it would have been much easier to just give up. So question I want to ask you this morning, how did Nehemiah keep going and keep everyone else going too? 
Well, I think there, there are two things that he did that we see in this passage that helped keep him and everyone else going. The first was prayer. First was prayer. Now, you know, sometimes uh, when Max is playing with his toy trains, Max is three and a half, he's playing with his toy trains, and, and one of the bits of track breaks, he will scream, he'll go, ah, the track is broken, and he'll get really annoyed. And then Elizabeth will usually, then often always, she will say this, she will say, Max, use your words. And then you can see his little mind kicking into gear, and he'll be like, uh, uh, okay, and then he'll say, uh, Daddy, please, can you help fix the track? And then I'll come over, and I'll fix the track for him. And, you know, sometimes he just needs a reminder that all he needs to do when a problem comes is to ask for help instead of screaming about it. And, you know, that's precisely what Nehemiah does so well in this passage. When he encounters a problem, and there are quite a few problems in this passage, he prays to God asking him for help. When Sanballat and Tobiah mock him in verses 1 to 3, you can see it in your, your passage there, how does he respond? He prays. When they begin scheming against him in verse 8, what does he do? He prays again. When the people want to give up building in verses 10 and 11, he tells them to remember the Lord, which is basically the same as praying. Nehemiah keeps praying right throughout the building project. And, and that, I believe, was one of the key things that kept him and the people going. And, you know, prayer is something that keeps us going in our Christian lives, too. In Isaiah 46, verse 4, God says this, I am he who will sustain you. It's a wonderfully simple verse. I am he who will sustain you. And, and you know, the way we tap into that sustaining power of God is through this prayer. It's through prayer. You see, when we pray, what we're doing is we are focusing our minds on who God is. And we're acknowledging that he is con in control, not us that he is with us and that we can trust him. That's how prayer sustains us and keeps us going. And, and I've seen this in my life. You know, in my previous church, uh, gosh, it must be seven or eight years ago, I, um, I was the youth worker there, but I, I decided at my previous church, I would start a prayer meeting. I was all excited about it, um, but nobody came. Nobody came to this prayer meeting that I set up at church. Um, I advertised it well, but nobody came. Actually, one other guy did come for a little bit, but then he gave up. So each Thursday evening, uh, I'd sit inside the church building on my own for an hour and pray. Now, you might think, oh, it sounds a bit lonely. But actually, you know what? It was the best thing ever. I mean, I came away from those prayer times. I mean, it's hard to describe, but just I came away just different, like more relaxed, uh, centered, and, and kind of, I don't know what the right word is, like kind of nourished spiritually. I mean, it's hard to explain and, you know, I really believe those prayer times helped sustain me spiritually during that period of my life. And, you know, one of the things I've started doing recently is, is every few months I, I go away somewhere, uh, go away somewhere for a day, uh, somewhere quiet with no distractions. I leave my phone at home. I just take a Bible, notebook and a pen. And I spend the day just meditating on a Bible verse and praying. I, I have no real agenda. I'm just waiting on the Lord. And, and, you know, those days away, they, they keep me refreshed spiritually for, for months after. You know, I, I just have a sense of being filled up off the back of it. You know, prayer, it keeps us going. You know, it sustains us spiritually because it brings us into the presence of the Father. 
brings us into the presence of the Father. So that's the first thing we see that Nehemiah, that first thing that we see that kept Nehemiah going. It was prayer. The second thing that kept him and the people going were wise decisions. Wise decisions. That's the second thing that helped keep Nehemiah and the people going. Wise decisions. Take a look at verse 9 in your Bibles if you've got them open. When Nehemiah found out about the plot against him, not only did he pray, but he also posted a guard. Now, that was a wise decision, wasn't it? And then in verse 14, he not only told the people to remember the Lord, but he also told them to get ready to fight. Another wise decision. Then in verse 20, he developed a system where people could get help if they got in trouble. It's the whole thing with a trumpet. You know, blow the trumpet and people will come and help you. Again, another wise decision. And then in verse 22, the fourth one we see here, he told people not to leave Jerusalem at night, but to stick together. Another wise decision. See, Nehemiah made a lot of wise decisions in this chapter. And these decisions neutralized a threatening situation. Hello. Someone is talking. I can hear sound. <laughs> Oh, it's gone. Have they muted themselves? I can just, all right, great. I'll, I'll go back to where I was. Someone, someone, someone's unmuted for a second. I, I was hearing someone chatting about their kids. Um, I don't know if anyone else could hear that. Maybe it was just me. I'm going to keep going. Nehemiah, he made a lot of wise decisions. Uh, if he was on Zoom right now, the wise decision Nehemiah would have made would have been to mute his microphone. Okay, that's, I'm not having a go at anyone. I don't know who it was, but um, yeah, muting white microphones, wise decision. That's not in my notes. That's completely off the cuff here right now. Nehemiah made a lot of wise decisions this chapter. And, and these decisions that Nehemiah made neutralized the threatening situation. Uh, they, they protected his people and they inspired his people to keep going. And that's how his decisions kept everyone going on the mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So that was Nehemiah. But what about us? You know, our mission is different to his. So how do wise decisions help keep us going on our mission? Not to rebuild a wall, but our mission is to love God, to love our neighbor and to make disciples. How, how do wise decisions help us do that? Well, you know, I think... The wise decisions we need to make to keep us going on our mission are, are actually quite similar to the decisions Nehemiah made. You know, sometimes we need to actually post a guard for protection, just like Nehemiah did in verse 9. You know, for me, what that looks like is every evening after I've finished work for the day, I turn my phone off, turn my phone off, and I put it in the spare room out of reach so that I'm not tempted to look at anything I shouldn't look at online. I know evenings are when I'm most likely to be tempted in that area. So I've made a, a decision, a wise decision to guard against that. And that decision helps keep me going. And perhaps for you, there are, are things you need to, to do to guard yourself too. I don't know what it is, but perhaps there are things you need to guard yourself against too. Sometimes, you know, the, the wise decision we need to make is, is actually to get ready to fight like the people did in verse 14. How do we get ready to fight? Well, we pick up our weapon. We pick up our weapon. And as Christians, what is our weapon? Well, Ephesians 6 says our weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the Bible. 
you know, a few weeks ago, uh, someone shared in our community group about just recently, about just how reading the Bible regularly has really impacted their Christian life over these last few years. You know, it's almost like it's too simple to be true, but it is. And they're just sharing how much that has impacted them and helped them. Reading a bit of the Bible every day and just mulling over it and, and, and like stewing over that for a little bit. And you're perhaps for some of us here this morning, the wise decision that you need to make is to just start reading your Bible again. Maybe that's the wise decision you need to make. Although maybe for some of us, though, the wise decision we need to make is to, like Nehemiah did in verse 20, to develop a, a system to get help when we get into difficulty. You know, in our, in our previous church, Elizabeth and I were able to, to help a couple who were going through some uh, marriage problems. And when they'd eventually resolved a lot of the issues and were doing much better, we said to them, what's your plan of action if you get in trouble again? You know, who are you going to talk to? What actions are you going to take? And, and basically what we were saying in the words of Nehemiah was, where's your trumpet? You know, where's your trumpet? If you get into difficulty, difficulty again, what are you going to do to get the people to you that you need to help you out? You know, maybe for some of us this morning, that's what you need to do. Have a plan in place of what to do if stuff goes wrong, who you're going to go to, what you're going to do, who you're going to call. Have that plan in your head. Or maybe, finally, the wise decision we need to make is to just stick together like the people did in verse 22. You know, I've, I've shared this story with a number of you, but um, about a year or two ago, my, my sister and her husband, they came to us and said, hey, Andy, we're, we're getting involved in a church plant. We're going to be on the core team of a church plant. Have you any advice? You've planted a church. What do you think we should do? What's your advice? And I said, I have only one piece of advice, and that is show up. And she was like, what? Show up more than three quarters of the Sundays in a year. That's all you need to do. And she's like, really? That's easy. And I said, are you sure? How many weekends were you away out of town last year at stag do's, weekends, seeing friends, seeing family, lots of different things? And she's like, oh, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, quite a few. Uh, and she realized that actually part of, part of, of, a, being, of, of living for God is actually being with God's people. And so it was really good. My sister and her husband, they sat down and they planned out their year to try and miss as few Sundays as possible because so much of the church stuff happened on Sunday. So they canceled some stuff. They came home on Saturday nights from some weekends and things so they could be around to help. And, you know, maybe for some of us, the wise decision we need to make, I'm not eyeballing anybody at all, okay? This is not me having a go anyway. But maybe for some of us, the wise decision we need to make is to show up to church more, you know, Sundays, community group, prayer meetings, whatever it is, just show up more. I mean, history is made by those who show up. Now, will you always feel like going to church, whether it's on Zoom or in person? No. Will you always enjoy church and have fun? No. But it's not primarily about that. It's about keeping us going, keeping us strong in our faith, filled up, inspired. And we get that by sticking together, just like the guys building the wall did. You know, Nehemiah faced opposition because he was on God's mission. The mission was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which, which was a symbolic way of, of bringing Israel back into God's presence. You know, they disobeyed God's commands again and again. And that was why God had sent them into exile in Persia in the first place. Now that they were returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding the city, this was a, a way of restoring their relationship with God. And for Nehemiah, dealing with opposition was 
totally worth it. It was the price he was willing to pay to restore Jerusalem and through it to restore Israel's relationship with God. And you know, if we're on God's mission, we're going to face opposition too, just like Nehemiah. Now, our mission is a bit different to Nehemiah's. Our mission is not to rebuild a wall, but it's to love God above all else, to love our neighbor and to make disciples of Jesus. And you know, I think it's, it's so easy for us to forget that we're in a much better position than Nehemiah and the Israelites were. You know, if we believe in Jesus, we don't have to fear God punishing us for our disobedience and rebellion. We don't have to build a wall or a temple as a means to connect with God and have a relationship with him. And all the promises God made to Israel about sustaining them and guiding them and helping them are true for us too. Because of this, because of Jesus, we are so blessed. We can be free from guilt and punishment. We can have a personal relationship with God. We can know that God is always with us. He promises to strengthen us and to sustain us. And we can trust that one day he will make everything right. That's worth facing opposition for, isn't it? Amen. You're all muted, so you can't really amen. But anyway, amen. Jesus, you know, he said that, that following him would not always be easy that there would be struggles and opposition. But Jesus promised us that it would be absolutely worth it because our future with him is going to be so much better than we can ever imagine. So let's keep going. Let's keep loving God. Let's keep loving the people around us. And let's keep making disciples. And let's, let's pray to God and ask him to sustain us. He's where the power comes from. Ask him to sustain us. And let's, let's help each other to make wise decisions that will help us keep going as followers of Jesus. I'm going to just pray for us as we, as we close. Lord, I, I pray for my two neighbors who I spoke with over this last week, Cash and Carol. Lord, uh, stuff's happened to them whereby they've, they've given up on you, Lord. I don't know where they were at before this stuff happened, really, but um, but Lord, I, I, I pray for them. I pray that they would meet you, Lord. I pray that they would find you in the midst of their suffering and learn to follow you. My Lord, for, for all the rest of us here who are following you, who are loving you, who are living for you, Lord, I, I just pray that you will help us use the resources that you have given us to keep us going, to keep us spiritually fresh, keep us alive, keep us vibrant and loving living for you, Father. Pray for that. In your name. Amen.